Good morning. I, I shared this at first service. It really is an honor to do this at Grace Church. I go to Walnut Creek Church, we're just a couple miles down the road from me. I go to our downtown campus. Came to know Christ there 12 years ago. And um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. We never went to church growing up, except when Grandma came to town. So uh, that is the only church I know. But what I do know is that God has many great churches in this city reaching people. And you are all one of them. And I've been blessed if I had a chance to meet you. The, the question I've been asking is, how long have you been coming for? And I encourage you to ask each other. And I, how I like to ask is how long you've been coming, because some people might have been here for years and you just haven't met them yet. But it's, it's a sign of a healthy church and what those answers are. And there's a couple things you're looking for. One, is there people that have been here for decades? But also, is there people that have been here for a few weeks? Because just one of those things by themselves is not a sign of a healthy church. A church can have people here for decades, but hasn't reached anybody since those decades. But a church can have someone that's here for weeks, but they got a massive back door where they only make it a few years. This is a healthy church, Pastor Phil. It's a healthy church. I've met many of you have been here 20 years plus, even predating Pastor Phil, a few of you. Some of you have been here a decade, some of you have been five years. I've also met someone last service that was their very first time. This is a healthy church. You can be encouraged. You are reaching the city of Des Moines. And I look around, it is a diverse church. Diverse in age and demographics, it's diverse. So you guys should be proud. It really is an honor to co-labor with you all in this city. And that's coming from my Walnut Creek hat to you all. But I want to, um, let's go ahead and start in a word of prayer, and I'll do a little introduction of myself, and we'll, we'll dive into the meat here. God, thank you so much for this opportunity just to be here at Grace Church here in Des Moines this morning. Lord, we just pray that we be proud and faithful for you in this city. It says in the scriptures that you choose the time and place that we were born. You put us here, God, for the sake that we can better come to the knowledge of you. So, Lord, we think about that with the residents of Des Moines. We think about that with us here in this room. You placed us here to find you, but you placed our neighbors here to find you. So let us be bold in your name in this city. Let many come to the knowledge of you in these days. Amen. So first, I just want to introduce my family to you. As I said, I've been, uh, been a Christian since April 18th, 2010. A gal named Ashley Pospichel at the time, now Ashley Baker. Um, I was working with her on a, a campaign for governor, and everyone was calling her a new Christian. Like, new Christian? What in the world does that mean? Is she like a Muslim before that? Like, what's a new Christian? And I found out she was a Presbyterian. I'm like, oh, these Jesus freaks. Now nobody's good enough. But she, she was so gracious. I was so hungry. I was asking her questions. I went to the University of Iowa, and I got a stereotypical University of Iowa education. I had a major problem. I believed in evolution and the Bible taught creation. And I said, if the Bible's lying here, it's lying other places. And I wrestled. My poor wife at this time, who's known the Lord for five months, I'm grilling her about creationism. So she's doing the best job she can. But she introduced me to a man named Terry Amon, who's one of her pastors. And Terry later played a huge role in me coming to know Christ. And that's um, Ben Ashley and I's church. We got married in 2012. And uh, we've largely, most of our life there has been uh, leading a community group. We've led uh, six different community groups now. 
and mostly folks in their 20s and their 30s is trying to transition to life post-college. And as you all remember, that's a, it's an interesting time because when you're in college, you're, you're such a homogenous lifestyle. Everyone's going from freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, first year, second year. But then people go all over the place. They go to, they get married at different ages. Some don't even get married. Some have kids. So that's most of our life's been just poured into helping young people. Um, we've gotten, we've become, we started as the younger in the group, and now we're starting to get on that, that older end. But uh, age is relative, amen? At work, I'm one of the youngest, and community group, I'm one of the oldest. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what we've given our lives to. Seven months ago, we adopted a young boy named Brecken. Excuse me, seven weeks ago, not months, weeks. It's that fresh. Seven weeks ago, about a young boy named Brecken. This is that two weeks ago, we're up at the North Shore of Minnesota. It's a great chance for us just to win his heart. Our big focus is on winning his heart, and he'll be a kindergartner at Joshua Christian Academy here. And starts in a few weeks. We're having to teach him to be ready by 8 a.m. for we're there on time. That has been a task for those of you that have done five-year-olds before. But we're so blessed by this little angel of God that he sent us. And that's our dog, Maddie. We took Maddie on the trip. Him and the dog get along well. Our dog's nine. She's never been more tired in her life than we brought a five-year-old in our home. <laughs> um, the Church Ambassador Network, it uh, is a part of the Family Leader Foundation. I started it here a little more than eight years ago now. Um, we're blessed that it's operating in 14 states now altogether. Our goal is all 50 by the end of the decade. Um, aim high and we'll see what the Lord does. We move at his speed. But what we largely do is we connect shepherds of the church, as the pastor was saying, pastors, two shepherds of government. In Iowa, we're blessed. That's all three branches of government. And our goal is to come alongside them just as an ordinary person. It's also to pour into them as a leader. What does the Bible teach about being a leader? But also find different ways that we can work together to strengthen our cities. So um, it's a great work that I'm honored to do. We've uh, seen four salvations since we started it. Um, Two Democrats, two Republicans. One of them is a member of the executive branch. Two are in the Iowa Senate. One's in the Iowa House. Um, one of them has been very public about it. It's actually the gentleman named Jake Chapman that's the Senate president. He actually shared his testimony the last National Day of Prayer event we had. So that's something you can look at online. The others aren't quite that uh, public. And just like in all ministry, yeah, what happens behind the door stays behind the doors. But I'm here to talk to you about government today. There's a lot of fun things we can talk about. But I'm here to talk to you about government today. And I want to challenge you today. You must take off your American hat. And you must put on your kingdom hat. We must learn to view the lens of government through the lens of our kingdom citizenship. You and I are temporary residents here. Our citizenship now rests in heaven. And when we do that, we start seeing just how big and timeless government is. So our experience with government is is limited to a constitutional republic. And most of our engagement here is we get involved around election season, right? That's when we really pay attention. But government's so much bigger than that. And I really want you all to walk away today seeing government and its leaders the same way God does. And and the principles you apply today, you can literally, if some of you I know we've talked about perspectives, you might get sent to other countries in the world, you can take this stuff there with you. God is a timeless God. He transcends all generations for all time and all nations. And that's the way we're going to view government today. So I'm going to start here with the concept of city gates. This gives you a better understanding of what government's purpose is. 
Government used to be really small, used to be limited to the city level. If you open up the book of Joshua, every single city had a king, right? Remember all those kings as he conquered those cities? That was the main way people governed for most of our world's history. Centralized government that we see it today is largely only 300 years old, with a few exceptions like Egypt and Persia and Assyria. Those are those exceptions we read in the Bible. But overall, most people's interaction with government is city level. And you have to understand city government to get the governments we have today. So I was blessed I got to go to Israel a few years ago. And we went to the ancient city of Dan, which has largely been remarkably preserved. And when you go to Dan, you see these, the massive original walls and the massive city gates. And my experience with walls and city gates to this point of my life was from the Lord of the Rings movies. I've seen them a lot. They came out when I was in high school. They were the thing to watch. And when I pictured a city gate, I pictured Lord of the Rings style, one big gate with a wooden wall that you just ramrod your way through and then you're right into the city, right? That's not at all what a city gate is. This is very enlightening for me when I went there. The city gate actually has three doors and they're staggered. Why? If you can't Lord of the Rings style, just ram your way through the city. And they're almost the size of the city itself. Each of those walls, there's about a football field before you get to the next one. So we're talking a massive space. Anything when you read the Old Testament, the concept of city, it comes up a lot. We're talking a massive space. Think of a couple football fields. And what they would do in ancient times, they'd open up the doors to the cities during the day and they'd close them at night. And that was the, this is pre-police force. The, the wall was your police force. So during the day, these gates were full of people. It was the Smoky Row coffee shop of its time. That's where you went and you gathered with people. This is where you connected with your family that lived in other cities nearby. This is where business deals took place. This is where trade happened. But an important person went to the city gate every single day to work. That was the king. And you go to Dan. Dan even has a little place where the leader of the city sat every single day. Most of them had a place they sat. And what the king did is he administered justice from that place, but he also learned what was happening with the people. And there's a great illustration of scriptures of how important the city gate is when you look at the, city, the story of David and Absalom. Do you guys remember where Absalom went to hang out before he stole the kingdom from his father? He went to the city gate, right? So there's two questions I've always wondered with this story. One, why is Absalom there? He's obviously up to no good, right? But there's a much deeper question to this that I often overlook. Where was David? Why wasn't he there? If he was there, all of this would have been averted. David was failing to do his job as king. And at the capital city, that's where people gathered. This concept of city gates still exists today. And during the time period of the 17 and 1800s, we began building what we now call capital buildings. We've got a beautiful one real close to us here in Des Moines. And our founders in the 1800s decided we're going to build a capital building in the city of Des Moines because it's the best place for the people of Iowa to navigate to. And it's in this place that the commerce, the discussions, and all the things of the cities would take place. And the king is going to be housed there in order to know what is going on. And if you ever go to your state capital, we're blessed. We're still a little old school in Iowa. 
You can go in easily, have access to any legislator by sending a piece of paper and asking for a meeting. Back in the day, you could walk into the White House and do this too, but we're 300 million people now. That'd be a train wreck. But that's the historic governance. So what we believe is that the Lord's people must be in this place. They must be where the people of Iowa, the people of Indiana is another example I have on here, but you name the capital, are discussing the needs of our cities. They must be there. And that's what your capital's actually designed to do. So I challenge you, because we live in the capital city and we drive by it, think of it in this context. Think of the design of government, just how intimate and personal it is, but also how much it's connected to the needs of people. It is so, so, so much more than elections, so much more. So I want to take a look at Romans 13 today. Apostle Paul gives one of the most clearest scripture writings to what government is. There's over 2,000 scriptures in the Bible that speak to government, by the way. But Paul's like, he just, he made it a one-step package for us. Romans 13, chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading out of the CSB. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and that those who exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is posing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have its approval. For government is God's servant for your good. Oh, do we believe that? For your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it's not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on those who do wrong. And this continues on to, to verse 7, where he ends with paying your taxes. So just remember when April comes around, God commands you to pay your taxes. But I'd encourage you to do it with a joyful heart, too. So what's our main takeaways here? The first one's the most important. Government is an institution of God's. Why is that important? Then who owns it? If you built it, you own it. It's his. It is not a man-made institution. It's not like Wall Street. It's not business. It's not entertainment. And we often put government in that category. And I challenge you, if you put it in that category, you'll be left with human thinking and human strategies to engage it. But government is not put in that category. It says God Institute, and there's only two other institutions it sits with. God didn't make many institutions. He made the family, he made the church, and he made government. That's why it's so crucial to get that. And because he owns it, and because he's an international God, he didn't just make it for here. We think of the 200 and other three countries in the world, all our governments look a little bit different, some significant, some small. He instituted it. And the most common form of government in world history is monarchy. That's the one we see the most, not in recent times, but throughout history. And remember, our God's timeless. How do you view government? Do you see it as an institution of the Lord's? Because if he made it, it has value. So what's its purpose? It's the institution of justice. I see government as a merciful gift from God and all people. Remember the scriptures where he talks about he allows rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous the same? So every time it rains, I think of God's mercy. 
and a dry summer right now, like we had that rain a couple of days ago, I, I, I was so excited. I'm a good Iowan. I get pumped when I see rain. Government's the same way. It's a merciful gift on the believer and the unbeliever. It's a merciful gift for all people. It's an institution that brings order in a world full of chaos created by sin. God gave us government because of sin. Think of what would happen if God never gave us government and we are all just left to our own vices running in our own directions. There's no way we would have made it as far as we have in human history. But he did. He made it for the righteous and the unrighteous the same. It's also important to know what's government's limitations. Because it's an institution made for the righteous and the unrighteous the same, it's going to look like an institution made for the righteous and the unrighteous the same. But it doesn't mean it's not serving its purpose. And I want to look at justice. How important is justice to God? Important enough to kill a son. If justice didn't matter, Jesus didn't have to die. He could have simply said, you're forgiven. But justice isn't just important to God because he values justice. Justice is important to God because it's the very character of who he is. God is just. It's God in his very being. And God could not allow sin to go unpunished. And sin will be punished, guaranteed in the scriptures. One of the biggest lies I believe before Christ is that God was not merciful in the Old Testament. He is completely merciful in the New. It's not true. The Old Testament has countless examples of God's mercy and justice. But if you read Revelation, the God of justice is very clear. Sin will be dealt with in one or two ways, through Christ and the cross or through your own payment of the cost. But our God is just. And God displays his character in creation. He does so with government. And we would hate him if he didn't. You think of some of the most horrendous crimes that happen. We scream out for justice. It's in our created being for justice. That's government's purpose on this side of eternity. But we can also rest that it's not the final judge. There is a final judgment where the innocent, who are innocent, will be shown they're innocent, where the guilty might have gotten away with it will be guilty. There will be perfect justice someday. But with God, it's also important to remember he's 100% just, but he's also 100% merciful. If God was not merciful, Jesus didn't have to die either. Because of his mercy, he wanted to deal with it. Without it, he could have simply punished us and moved away. So his solution was the cross. It perfectly allowed God to be merciful and just at the same time. Sin was dealt with, but it wasn't dealt with on you. And every day the sun comes up and the sun goes down and comes up again is another sign of God's mercy that he still desires people to come to the knowledge of him. Another day that he doesn't want justice to fall on you, but he wants it to be transferred to Christ. And if the sun comes up tomorrow, we can praise him again that he still desires all people to be saved and mankind. And when it comes to the institution of government, it somehow has to represent perfectly this balance of justice and mercy and our human nature that is hard. What I've found is we've formed two political parties around this. One party has an easier time with justice, while another time has an easier time with mercy. God's both. And you look at this in the criminal justice debate today. We look at this in the racial debates today. We look at all these debates. You're either falling on the side of justice, you're falling on the side of mercy. And what we try to do in the Church Ambassador Network is I'm going to meet you at mercy and I'm going to introduce you to justice. I'm going to meet you at justice and introduce you to mercy. 
But we as people, we're ditchers. We go from one ditch to another. We think, oh, I had this ditch wrong. We just back it right up into the other one and think we fixed it. That, that's just our human tendency. God holds these things perfectly in balance. It was created for our good. This is so important to remember. So often we think God's withholding good from us. and He's given us so much good. Your current government, who woke up today wondering if it was going to be open? Nobody. There are many in this church that probably use Social Security, rely on it, need it. Some of you are depending on it. You do not have to worry about your U.S. government being open five years, ten years from now. Did you know we're the longest standing government in world history? Longest standing government right now. Now, that doesn't mean we're the longest standing country. There's a very big difference. Government is the word I used. Government. We've been using the same form of government for over 200 years. And because of that, we, we all are products of where we're from, right? Our image of government, we don't fully appreciate it because every day we have it. We're those brothers and sisters in the world. Think about you in the Ukraine right now. What's your government going to be? How long does my military hold on? Does it hold on? Um, lots of Africa every day. Resol- revolutions being threatened. And uh, that's how most of human history has been. But we're so blessed that every morning we get to wake up in a stable state. How long does that last for? That's above my pay grade. That's what's true now. But it's also given us a bit of an entitlement mindset. We don't fully appreciate what we have. There's so much more to be thankful for their government than to complain about. So much more. And I encourage you, when you're getting to the point you got a, a political argument that you're a little concerned about or maybe something in the news made you a little discouraged, try to write 10 things you're thankful for with your government. You'll find it's actually not that hard here. We're so blessed. It's created for your good. And lastly, those who serve in government are God's ministers. That's a bold claim the Bible's putting out there. That means President Joe Biden is a minister of God. It also means that his predecessor, President Donald Trump, was a servant of God, as well as those 535 members of Congress and the nine judges in the Supreme Court. And regardless of political persuasion, all ministers of government are his servants. And he's used them throughout human history. And some of the people that he's most used, you and I would never vote for on an election day. How many people are for Nebuchadnezzar in 2024? What a great presidential ticket, right? Look what the Lord did with him. It's really remarkable. Or King Darius, 2024. That's going to rescue a nation. But look what the Lord did. He will use his kings as he pleases. And when he uses them properly, when they submit to him properly, they're an incredible blessing. And there's one thing I wish everyone in the world could understand, is that God's law is not about right and wrong. It's about life and death. And the reason why something is right is it brings life, and the reason why something is wrong is it brings death. Our God is not some cruel dictator withholding good from us. He's a gracious, loving father desperately wanting his children to experience life. But time and time again since the garden, we have said we know better. We know better. 
And what our salvation story tells us, why repentance, why John the Baptist had to come first, it is us saying, my compass is wrong, my way is wrong. My way has only produced one thing, death. And I'm admitting before God that I do not have the right compass. I do not have the right judgment calls. So I'm going to choose yours instead. That's ultimately what it means. God's law will always be in conflict with my flesh. It's going to be. I can't wait till I get my new body. I don't know about you guys. I can't wait. But it's in conflict. So what do I do? I deny what seems right to me and I pick up my cross daily and I follow him. That must be the attitude of our government. It must say, I'm going to pass laws they are going to punish things that people think are good. And it's going to reward things that people think are wrong. Why? Because I know my compass is broken and that God's way equals life. It equals life. That's why this stuff's so important. So I want to talk about the shepherd of government. The shepherd of government is a king. Shepherd of the church, pastor, shepherd of family, father. Shepherd of government is a king. And there's some examples, some kings in the Bible. We get to learn about multiple pharaohs and Caesars and the kings of Nineveh, the emperors of Persia, emperors of Babylon, kings of Sodom and Judah and Israel and Herod. Throughout the scripture, we get to interact with kings. We even get to watch Jesus interact with those in the role of kings. And Paul would even stand someday trial before Caesar himself, right? Throughout the Old New Testament, the presence of kings. But also throughout this scripture is a universal understanding there is a king of kings, a lord of lords, an emperor, the one who sits on the throne of David, Jesus. And he's the shepherd king. And it is by him that true justice and mercy will reign. And we look forward to the day that's what we live under. Now we're not getting into eschatology here today. That's not what I was brought in here to teach. Nor am I qualified But I will tell you this, in heaven, there is a king. He has no heir, there's no popular election, and he has a 100% approval rating. And that's the way it always will be. That I can tell you with confidence here today. And I think of our government leaders today. They don't need to be more conservative. They don't need to be more liberal. They don't need to be Republican. They don't need to be Democrat. They need to do what Apostle Paul understood as a pastor. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. What Paul understood is that he could never be a perfect pastor. That he could not be the primary example. But Jesus had to be. Follow me as I chase Jesus. That's why we need our governor, our president, all members of Congress, all members of the House, all members of the Senate to do. That is so much bigger than a couple culture war issues that significantly, cosmically shifts government. Our God is not into behavior modification. He's into complete transformation. And complete transformation is recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ and submitting to it. That's it, period. There is no other way to engage this culture at all. You can't find it. It's that. It's where the beginning of all the problems was rooted. We have all these historians out there today trying to pinpoint when human history went wrong. 
and you'll see it here. You can watch these different little documentaries on YouTube. This is when America fell apart. This is when America fell apart. I'm going to give you this today. America fell apart of the Garden of Eden just like every other kingdom of man. And God has only ever provided one solution. Transformation. Period. We must be a people that understands that and applies the proper expectation. A born-again person will be transformed. An unborn-again person will not. Period. And the best they can provide is behavior modification. But I'm telling you, if the Mount Sinai, the law that Moses directly got from the kingdom of God was not sufficient to transform people, there is nothing the U.S. Congress will ever be able to pass. The Ten Commandments couldn't even do it. That's why we must be about transformation. So I want to take a look at these different types of shepherds, leaders that we see in the scriptures. It says in John 10, a thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to me, have life, and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he's not the shepherd, he doesn't own the sheep. He leaves them and he runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters, and this happens because he's a hired man and he doesn't care about the sheep. There's three types of leaders in the scripture that any of us can be. Any form of leadership, you'll be one of these three. And apart from Christ, you can only do two of them. The hireling, the sheep, and the, the thief, and the shepherd. The hireling in the political world is a politician. This is an individual dominated by people pleasing. It's in us. We want to please people. The problem is with those who are in Christ and those who understand that God's law brings life and things opposed to bring death also understand that the very people we're witnessing to are desiring death. We can't please them. We, the word of God comes contradiction with our desires. But if we truly love them, we want life. God never apologizes for his truth, ever, because he knows it's life-giving. The hireling is doomed by people-pleasing. And someone that's doomed by people-pleasing cannot carry out the Great Commission, and they most certainly cannot govern well. But the other category is a thief. This is the tyrant. This is the one who wants reputation, power, name. It's in us. We want our name. We want to be recognized. We want to be thanked. We want people to see us. In the political world, this is the tyrant. And this individual is constantly consumed by, am I going to get my statue? Am I going to get that highway named after me? Or are the people going to vote for me again and again and again? Is my boss going to recognize me? Is my pastor going to thank me for all that I do? People think in this church, man, look what I'm all doing here. It can dominate us. But these two things, people-pleasing and building your kingdom, will never equal transformation. They can't. It's impossible. It only actually ends in death. That's where it goes. That's where the shepherd comes in, the statesman, the one that says, I am going to lay down my life for the sheep. In the political world, this is the statesman that says, I'm going to do what is right no matter what it costs me. And Jesus did this. The king of kings, the emperor, came, born in the feeding trough of the Roman Empire, did not have Caesar bow to him as Caesar should have, but instead literally made himself last. Literally. Making him now the name above all names. That is who we must imitate. That is what we must pursue. That is where transformation lies. As the Lord's people, that is what we're bringing. So our kings today, I'll just go through this quickly as... Um, 
the lawmaker power today of the king is in your Congress and your legislature. The CEO of the king, that's your president, and that's your governor. The chief judge is the U.S. and state Supreme Court. The head of state is the president and the governor. The commander of armies is also the president and governor. The sovereign is that's who owns the government. It's we the people. We're the sovereign. Every two years we form government. This November, Iowa will form its 90th government since its creation. And what we want to be looking for is the Lord's people is having the proper expectations. When a born-again believer comes across, you expect them to be a statesman. When someone who isn't a believer, expect them to be fallen in that thief and politician realm. And what do they need? They desperately need Jesus. That is the only way. So we have made six values in the Church Ambassador Network that govern the way we view government. And I encourage you to make these things that govern the way you view government. Number one, Christ-centered. We believe transformation happens solely when people accurately value Christ and rightly value him. When people accurately see Christ and rightly value him. We believe transformation solely happens when people accurately view Christ and rightly value him. Chief Shepherd, King of Kings, that's it. And everything we do when we're educating the state is running in that direction. We'll use modern-day issues like abortion to run in why does God hate it because it brings death, and we're bringing it all back to the gospel. So often in the church, we got it backwards. We're trying to make someone pro-life instead of born again. Use the issues to push them there. Push the gospel. Grace-driven. Grace is too rare in government. And it's way too rare in the Lord's church. We should be the most gracious people to our governing authorities because we know how difficult it is to get that right compass. So much so that we had to repent and beg God to intercede. Where's our grace? Why are we looking for memes of our president tripping on stairs and tweeting it out like it's funny? Is that honoring the emperor? We must be grace-driven. Nonpartisan. This is a key one for the church today. I didn't say bipartisan. Bipartisan means you're allegiant to both and you're watered down and you stand for nothing. Partisan means you're blinded and you only see one side's point of view. The word of God tells us that God is inconvenient for all people. That means both major political parties. You must commit to be nonpartisan. What does that mean? My allegiance is only to the kingdom of God. And I will view everything through that lens. And I will speak everything through that lens, in season and out of season. Relationally built. I'm not showing up once a year for a rally. I'm not also only showing up to rebuke. If we built the church the way we engaged government, there wouldn't be a church. Can you imagine if you came here for the first time on a Sunday and the first thing someone did was rebuke you? Are you coming back? But does that mean you don't rebuke? Of course not. There's a season for these things. Or can you imagine if your church only met one time a year here in the city and think you're going to have impact on the city of Des Moines? But so often with government, we come when we're upset and we come once a year for a rally and we wonder why there's been no transformation. I'm glad to tell you here today in the state of Iowa, every single day our government is gathering to govern. There are the Lord's shepherds present in your state capitol building. We have put 16,000 hours into your state capitol for a total of 8,000 pastor and government leader connections. That is building a relational presence. And we correct in season, we encourage, we exhort, 
And we're patient. God's so patient with us. That comes from 1 Thessalonians 5. Partnership-minded. How can we work together to strengthen our cities? Government has a role to play. I think the gigantic Department of Health and Human Services, it solely exists because of sin. How do we come alongside the department, bringing the hope of the gospel and the transformation of Jesus to bring life or the Satan intended death? And I'm telling you, the doors are wide open. I get to meet the DHHS director every month, begging for partnerships from the church. She knows the state can't do it. She wants it. And prayer focused. Do we pray more than we complain? There's a great challenge for it comes to government. The commissioners command us to pray for those in authority in 1 Peter chapter 2. I really encourage you as a church, pray more for your government leaders than complain. I always wondered how much did Daniel pray? Daniel got access to four emperors, we know. We know Daniel prayed three times a day. How much was he praying for those emperors? I bet a lot. I encourage you, pray more than you complain. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer right now. God, we thank you so much for this church. Thank you just for the opportunity to be a light here in this city of Des Moines. God, we just pray that we see many people come to the knowledge of you, including our leaders today. Lord, we pray that we honor you in all that we do, including our civic engagement. We pray for our president, our governor, and our mayor as they lead this place. Pray us all in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.